Then we have we the $100 a month tier. That one is where um, you will actually go to dinner with that person. To Ruth's This Chris. is not true. This is absolutely this true. This is not true. Um, <laughs> I she'll was like, do one-on-one calls of spiritual direction. and For the $100 <laughs> tier, Savannah will pray for you. Oh my God, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Holy Hell Podcast, where we look at the Christian religion from a religious and historical perspective. You want to add anything to that? I'm winging our intro this time around. It sure seems like it. Can you do the thing that made us go viral? Oh, sure. Should I start over? Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Start over. Oh my God. Okay. You want me to start it? Can I, can I, you, you be me. And but I'll I'm not saying Christian. I'm saying atheist. Yeah, but no, let's just like. Hey everybody. Our- and welcome back to the Holy Hell podcast where we look at the Christian religion from a religious and historical perspective. I'm Savannah and I'm an atheist. Kind of. <laughs> my name's Josh. I'm a Christian. Kind of. Sometimes. And here we are. Yeah, I can't even. We're we're like five. Sorry, Josh. I'm sure we all saw that, but Josh wanted to try the intro for himself, and I shut that down immediately because that's my job. Can't be the Savannah show, can it? No, it has to be. This is all about me. Um, Do you want to tell everyone why this show is a little bit different? Yes, this show is a little bit different because we have a beautiful audience with us tonight. Welcome, audience. Give yourselves a round of applause. We are stoked to be doing this. This is our first live show. It's literally our third episode. Third episode. (laughs) Third episode live show. And I think right now this uh, connotes, what is this? What is that word I'm looking for? Sounds like a fruit. This calls for, I think, a huge thanks. I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but it calls for a huge thanks to everyone because we have right now two episodes live. And our audience is growing at a rapid pace that we honestly cannot keep up with. And so we're doing a live show now to connect with some of our amazing listeners, you guys that are here today. Um, we wish that everyone could be here. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the studio is a bit small. Maybe one day we'll be at, you know, Madison Square Garden or something. But Oof. what's really beautiful, though, is what we've been hearing from people who have been interacting with the podcast which is why they've been sticking around. Like, yes, it's like entertaining. Yes, we have deep and like theological substance in what we do. But the biggest piece has been that they see our relationship as a standard for what yeah. I would argue every human relationship would be, which is yes. you and I have different different opinions on theology or God or the existence of, or the lack of, yep. and yet we can still be friends. 100%. And I think it makes me a little sad that it doesn't exist, but makes me hopeful that we can maybe help set up some of those relationships in the future. Absolutely. And I think it's, again, we, I think we said this in the last episode too, but the mission of this podcast is not for Josh or I to convert the other to our ways of thinking, but simply to learn about each other and the, right. what we believe and why we believe it and how to have better conversations and understand each other without necessarily coming to the same conclusion on everything, because yeah. that is just not realistic. That's not a realistic or admirable way to have dialogue if you have to come to the same conclusion. So I think we said that last week as well, but yeah. I, I really like to note that. Um, anyways, any yeah. other, we do have another big announcement that we want to talk about. Do you want to roll that out? Um, in a minute. 
I have two things I need to talk about. Okay. Oh, I forgot one of them. I know one's really important. Cool. Um, okay. So for, let me, wait, 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 wait. Today at last night, 9 p.m. Today at last night. Today at last night p.m. Okay. 9 p.m. last night. You said, I'll be there shortly after 4 p.m. Yikes. You arrived today at 5.17. Look. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Wait. You are by far one of the most highly intelligent, vehemently efficient, spot on. I hate Your this. dialect is so dialected. And yet you are so late to everything that we do. And that's on arriving at the right time. Arriving on my time. And that's <laughs> that's on women's rights. <laughs> I won't listen. I will not let a man tell me when I'm supposed to be somewhere. You, I will arrive when I want to. The woman said what time she was going to be there. And though. that is also her woman's rights. Oh, my God. I feel like this makes sense. I... Am I, I wrong? Just, this is why you're such a good debater. I can't touch this. <laughs> I can't go near it. No, okay. I was late, but that was because because of a couple things. Um, I'm not looking for excuses. One, you'll notice that I'm wearing winged eyeliner today. Need I say more? <laughs> Two, I had to stop and I bought the beverages, which I realized mm. that buying two... Um, cans of soda, like two 12 packs and a, a giant bottle of water might not have, should not have taken as long as it did, but it did because I got lost in the aisles of Target as one does. But the eyeliner is really where the time got sucked up and that's on me, but it does look good. I think anyone great. else, I just, we have a live audience today, which is, I wish we always did because now I this can ask. kind of, does also, any you- other woman, how, who in this room can do their winged eyeliner in a normal amount of time? Raise your hand. Okay, not you because you do makeup. That is not fair. Any men <laughs> okay. can do their winged eyeliner? In a- okay, so I'm just saying it takes a while and I had to perfect it and I, I feel like we still were able to prepare, um, but I am sorry that I was a little bit late. I was an hour and 12 minutes late. <laughs> and I accept your apology because I can't, once again, touch And that's on this. growth. I've already got canceled twice over this podcast in two right, episodes. Right, right, right. So I no, I, w- I was late. I was 100% late. Um, I wasn't looking for it. Re- I just was wondering why that's a thing. Because I was, I I was like simply going to, I was going to blame it on the, um, well, I was going to blame it on my husband, but he's early everywhere. So that was not going to work. Um, but I was going to blame it on the target run. But then I realized that that made me sound But it's really mainly basic. your eyeliner because you mainly want to present yourself well. 100%. For your, not that you need makeup to present yourself well. But that's I also construct. like couldn't decide what to wear. And D can attest to this. Like I could not decide for the life of me what I was going to wear. And so that was also just a whole, whole thing, but we're here and we started, we're rolling, we're live. And like I said, maybe not on time, but definitely at the right time and (laughs) women's rights. I'll take it. Um, (laughs) And women's rights. Okay. And because I feel bad for not letting you do the intro, do you want to roll out the other big announcement? Yes. Should we do it the way we did discord? Do you remember how we we did that? How do we do it in discord? Do you want me just to do it the way that I'll do it the same way we did the Discord? Okay, meeting. I have no idea. We now from. have a Patreon. Patreon. I had several people in the comments tell me they're like, "Bro, can you never do that again?" Did you do it in a voice memo in the Discord? 
What? A voice memo? What are you talking about? Well, we announced it on our Instagram. That's what I did. I went to Discord. I added like vocal effects. Right. Anyways, we have a Patreon. It's in our bio. If you like our podcast and you want to support us, we would love that. And when you sign up for the Patreon, you get... Three different tiers. Tier number one, which is $5 a month, is called the Little Hellions. Little Hellions, you get exclusive content. On Patreon. Yep. Which is basically like we'll do Q&As. We do things Extra called, video content. We do lunch breaks, which is yep. basically us doing Q&As yep. over literally us eating lunch as we're doing, doing Q&A. Yep. Um, and you get a invite to the Discord. To the Discord. Correct? Yep. Is that it for the first tier? First tier. And then second tier... Second tier is all that plus a discount on merch. Yes, and then which the, is coming soon. Coming soon. And then third tier, which is $35 a month, mm-hmm. that is really there because you see this as an investment, um, not only into us, but into your life as well. Maybe you we, consider it your church of a sense. We've yeah. had several people say that they have exited any sort of like church community. Actually, this pops up in our Discord all the time. And they're looking for some aspect of community centered around something that they understand or believe. And for some people right now, that's not a belief system, but it's undoing parts of their belief system. It's been really beautiful in our discord to see that. So some people have said that this is in some ways their church community right now. And so if you see this as a way um, for you to invest, not only into Savannah and I into Holy Hell, but into you, that's what that $35 tier is. There that's for called you. a Holy Hell partner. That's really Holy like we partner. consider you a partner in this project. Yep. Like I said, we don't, we don't get paid to do this. We take time off of, from our jobs yep. to do this. And so if you want to come alongside and support us in that way, and then we have we the hundred dollar a month tier. That one is where, um, you will actually go to dinner with that person to Ruth. This Chris. is not true. This is absolutely this true. This is not true. Um, <laughs> I she'll was like, do one-on-one, Calls of spiritual direction and for the hundred dollar tier, Savannah will pray for you. Oh my god, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. <laughs> Imagine what that prayer would be like. God or whatever. And be like, hey God, it's been a while. You up? And then it would just be silent for like 20 minutes as I think of what to say. But I don't know what. Yeah, because I don't. Would that be offensive if I prayed? Are you asking me if it would the be nervous laughter I just heard from the audience right now? Um, yeah, would that be offensive if I? That would be offensive. Do you want to open us open us up in prayer right now? Oh my god! Do, Literally, do you want to? No. Can you just call it Daddy God, and oh I will literally die. We have talked about that. Man. That is off limits on this podcast, except for one person only. Um, Pedro Pascal. Obviously, obviously. Um, okay, okay. I digress. Those are the housekeeping things that we needed to talk about. Um, should we get into our topic? Yeah. Do we hit everything we need to talk about? I think so. All Maybe right. just a little check-in. How are you doing? How's life? I'm good, man. That's it? <laughs> I said it that way. I'm sorry. That was weird. <laughs> Let's try that again. I don't smoke weed, but I totally sounded like a stoner when 100%. I said that. 100%. Or like a frat, a frat boy. I'm good, bro. Or a, bro. like someone that used to be in a frat. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. Um, the Bear season two starts two days after my birthday, a day before your birthday. No, it doesn't. It does. <gasps> it looks so good. Oh, I have been waiting because I feel like they have taken forever to make season two. Season one like, just came out last year. Did it? Yeah. But that's kind of a long time because there, were, there weren't that many episodes in it. That's true. It was only eight episodes. That's a, that's a long time for production, I feel like. Season two comes out June 22nd. 
Are they doing episode episode per episode rollout? Or are they doing the whole season out at once? I hope it's the whole season. But they, I bet they won't. No, not now. They What's did it on the HBO? First no, Hulu. It's an FX show. Hulu is known for doing one episode at a time, I feel like. We got 17,000 followers. We can start a petition. Okay, let's do it. Because I like love three that of them show. Will sign it, do you watch Selling Sunset? No. Okay, it was worth a shot. What? Anyone else? Are they Selling like, Sunset? That okay, doesn't great, sound great. like the same type of show. It's not. It's actually very different. And I really, there was no way to pivot, but I was just like, wanted it's to like saying, are oh, you like Toy Story? Have you ever seen Evil Dead? That's what that was like. <laughs> I just, it's, you were talking about shows and it reminded me of that show and I absolutely love it. And I binged it in like a weekend. And so that's also another show that I love. And Ted Lasso has come to a close. Um, thank you for being with me in this difficult time. I tried Succession. <clears throat> wow. It's a weird thing for me. It is. I feel like they're trying to be like super serious, but mixed in sometimes with like office humor. It's a dramedy. It's, it's weird. That is the, that is what makes you either love it or hate it. And it will only get worse. Any Oops. succession fans? Any bear fans? Wow. Okay. Bear fans. Okay. Cool, cool. Cool. Because succession is, and I won't belabor this because this is not what this podcast is about, but succession is this really funny, awkward balance between the seriousness of what it means to be a billionaire and like how to, uh, depict that lifestyle because every decade or so there's that show that comes out, whether it's dynasty or succession or, um, empire that shows these families of such extreme wealth that the way that they live and think and process and communicate is just different than us. And so that's why it's funny. Um, so there's that dichotomy, but it is an acquired taste and it is not for mm. everyone. But also I feel like if you liked Downton Abbey, you like succession. I'm just realizing that those two things and the crown, like if you like those kind of shows, you like succession. You just saying that reminded me of the show I've been trying. So I have like four new shows starting next week. Good, good, you good. have the bear June 22nd, the witcher June 27th is coming okay. out. There's a Marvel show coming out. There was a fourth one and I forgot what it was until you brought up uh really rich people, righteous gemstones. <gasps> Don't get me started. It's love that show. Up. Love so that show. My, it's so good. I got my family hooked on it as well. Um, I love it. Should we get into our topic? Let's do it. Um, also, I'm great. Thank you for asking. Everything's fine. I was about ready um, to, but you kept <laughs> going. And so I couldn't really... I hope you're well. I'm just messing with you. Yes, I am totally well. We would have had way more time to talk about that if you were here on time. <laughs> okay, fair. Um, also, I'm well. Um, and I did... Yeah, I started a new job and I'm going to keep that private and everything. But... And I'm absolutely loving it. I good. love it so, so much. Um, but it's just finding that balance of yeah. like, now I'm in this new job and then I have all of these other projects that I'm doing and finding the balance and holding the tension. And I feel like every day... I want to hang out with someone or get a coffee with someone. And you're like, Oh my God, how much free time do I have? So trying to find all of that balance is hard, but what was the name that your friend gave you? Savannah, no fun. Carano. Oh yeah. My friend Trent, if he's watching, he literally calls me uh, Savannah, no time for fun. No time for fun. Um, Because I'm always stressed out about everything all of the time. Yikes. Such is life. That sounds really depressing. It is. But you know, what's not depressing the names of God, which is our topic today. (laughs) We're gonna I have, I don't know if you realize I tried to pivot you to I threw you that ball like nine times and what? you just kept I gave you a segue to get to it and just go. Oh, but I just like wasn't done talking about myself. Okay. Um but now I now I'm ready. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about the names of God. Names today. of God and this topic, I feel like, is a, is a topic that no matter your belief or lack thereof, no matter what religion you come from or don't come from names of God and what we call God is something that we all have somewhat of an understanding or connection to. Right. 
what the reason we call God, God, right? What is, what is the, that name in, in Hebrew and Greek and where did we get those names and what does that come from? So okay. we're going to be looking at a few and I'm going to go in order of, um, when we see these names throughout the Bible in the old Testament and the new, and I'm going to be looking at, uh, three questions for each name. And we're not going to be looking at every name for God in the Bible. There's like 60. So I think we're covering like five of the main big ones. Big ones yeah. We're going to be looking at three questions for each, for each name, the same three questions, which is what does that name mean? Where is it used? And is it unique to the Jewish or Christian faith yeah. mm-hmm. or Jewish and Christian faith? Is it unique to that? Or do we see it in other religious texts and cultures? So those are the three. Mm-hmm. And we're starting off with the name Elohim. Elohim, um, which I'm sure many people know of if you grew up in the church. I feel like a lot of times you hear people using that word in songs and in worship. And I wrote down a few things in case if there are any Bible nerds, you probably already know this. But that word Elohim actually is plural. That last im on the end means it's plural, but it is traditionally used in a singular sense, similar to how we say glasses or pants think about like that like it's plural but you're meaning a singular god and it is the most basic um i guess common word for god and it doesn't nest it doesn't mean the christian or jewish god it is literally the word god for gods that any that many religions and cultures and um nations were using at that time Mm -hmm. and I think that's a fascinating one because I think it sounds the coolest, Elohim. <laughs> uh, but we first see it in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. It's literally from the beginning, that is the word that we get. But we also see it throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Job, Exodus, Deuteronomy. Occasionally, it's used in the New Testament in Romans, I believe, and it uses that word Elohim. And that is because, and that's really unique because in the New Testament, that's in Greek, but it's using that word Elohim because it's just so common. Right. It was common yeah. enough that they could use it. Um, I don't know. What are you, what's your, your history with that word? Do you ever use that word? Did you use that in church? What are your thoughts? I mean, it's fun to say, especially if you can get the in there. Yeah. Elohim. The Elohim. Yeah. Um, what I find fascinating about it is something that I think traditionally gets left out which is that it is a phrase in the first century context used for multiple gods, Mm -hmm. which in some ways is a contradiction to the Christian faith. One God through the lens of Jesus, one singular person. And so depending on where you are in your Christian belief system or what that construct that your God is placed in, that could sometimes even undo a bit of theology. Oh, that's right? a good point. Because yeah. there's only one true God. Right. right? And so it already kind of does some undoing unless you look at the historical context behind it. Yes. Because so much of the Genesis creation, uh, creation poem is in a good way, a copy and paste of the Numa Elish, which is the Babylonian creation. And poem. several other texts. Yeah. Yeah. Meant, yes. Yeah. Um, so inside of that context, there are many facets in the Jewish or the Genesis creation poem, the Hebrew creation poem that is trying to one up all the other gods. How are you going to one up other gods if you have one God? And that's something mm, that Abraham yeah. Joshua Heschel, who's a, a um, he's a Jewish um, rabbi in New York city has talked about quite a bit. Okay. That if you have Jewish exiles, Hebrew slaves in slavery, 
particularly under something like Babylon, who their creation poem it's so sorry I segue it's so cool having so many faces I just keep looking around at everybody I keep it's trying just, not to because then I'm I'm also like, like, you feel me yeah I'm yeah, also yeah okay. like a little are you like kind of nervous I'm trying not to think about it okay I'm totally <laughs> thinking about it I'm so nervous don't take this personally but I'm trying to pretend you're not here oh my god <laughs> I'm um, trying to like yeah but in the Babylonian context you have two major gods that weigh war yeah and Marduk okay. And so it is striking. It's a little bit fascinating and it makes sense why yes. the very first word for God would be a plural because right. the writers who wrote this down, that would have been their context yes. to understand God or gods. It's not a singular entity. It is a right. multiple iteration of the thing of what it is. That's a, you make a great point because, and this, I don't know the answer to this, but it is interesting to explore because we know that some of the earliest Old Testament contributors, like in the Torah, right? If we're looking at Genesis and Exodus, that word Elohim typically is meaning one God, but it's just using the plural because it's very common. And they say Elohim simply because that's just how they used it, like the word pants or glasses. And it means one God, but they spell it Elohim in plural. But the early writers of the Old Testament were fully aware of and believed that there were other gods. And I think that is often lost on Christians today, that the writers of the Old Testament believed there were other gods. They just believed that their God was the best. And then also, so could that word Elohim sometimes be meant to be singular and sometimes could it have meant plural? I don't know the answer, yeah. but it's, I mean, well, even if you look at the historical context of the scriptures and how they're laid out, you see the definition or the iteration of multiple gods begin to become diluted towards one singular thing. Solomon for a lot of times right, right. would point. advocate for his military economical empire. He's built under one God, one singular God. There's a whole thing. in I think it's in first Kings where there's a riff between him and the queen of Sheba about your God, just your one God gave you all of this. And then how the storyteller tells that they kind of go back and forth with, with what is singular, what is not within God's. Mm. And so I, I, I even see that happen several, especially when you get into the new Testament, when you get into the early church and the way that God is used there. Right. Right. Um, I think the thing, <laughs> this is maybe a little bit generic. I think sometimes the Western church confuses God with Jesus. We'll get into that. And yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to leave that one Take there because I know it's coming. It. That's coming towards the end because we will look at some names of God that are what we call Jesus. So, but that's we'll my take that. on Elohim. Okay. I'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah, because my my I don't really have a take so much as uh, even when I was a Christian, I think some people don't know this, but I used I'm an atheist now, but I used to be a very devout Christian. I was a pastor at one point. I knew that and could accept as a Christian that the early writers believed that there were other gods. Mm -hmm. And as a Christian, I thought, maybe there are other gods. And this writer was just saying, no, our God is the best one, which is what anyone would say about their God, Mm -hmm. right? That they're the best. And so to me, that word Elohim was, yes, meant to be singular, but it was a singular God compared to other gods. And I was totally fine with that as a Christian, but I also recognize that that could be very challenging and maybe even seen as blasphemous for some Christians. And I can hold that and recognize that if you're a Christian today, you might find that to be offensive to think that there are other gods and that 
the God of the Christian faith is the only one. So holding that, recognizing that that's a little bit complex. Elohim is like the most general. And then because of that, the most complex name. (laughs) Um, Okay. The next one that I want to talk about is Adonai. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that? Have you heard the song Adonai? Oh man, it's a rager. How does it go? Give us a little tune. Should I snap? No, no, you got it. it. I just remember, I think what's his, it's some, don't tell, it's not a Hillsong song, is it? No, I don't think so. You probably know Raymond. No, just me. Yes, of course. Here it is. You need the mic, Rach? You want a mic? (laughs) No, absolutely not. Um, are you sure you don't want to sing it a little bit? I, feel I like you would want love to, sing to hear it. what you like to talk about with Adonai because I really want to just move away from okay. me having cool, to sing. Cool, cool, cool. We'll come back to that. Uh, like and subscribe if you want um, Josh to sing. Maybe on you a know Patreon. I was a worship leader for like twelve years. No, you weren't. I was. Okay, so you can sing. We don't talk. There's a reason why I hung my hat up. Is it because you were a bad singer? I don't think so. Oh, I thought that's where you were going with that. Because no. I was like, oh, you sing? And you're like, no, there's a reason I hung my hat. I, I mean, like, it was mainly you about like every song had toxic theology in it was a big part of it. Oh, okay. Um, it wasn't because of like you. I thought you were oh, saying like no, no, you no, were no, bad. No. And I was like, oh my God. No, were, I was incredible. Would they the let songs. you go for 12 years? Like imagine you being terrible, but they couldn't tell you. So they let you sing like, for 12 years. He's like, guys, but he's so cheap. <laughs> We have to, God bless him. He thinks he's so good. Like, I don't have the heart to tell him that he absolutely like, We pay sucks. interns more than this guy. So like. And now worship leaders are like the most overpaid and they get the title pastor. All right. So the second Anyways, word, Adonai. It's a whole soapbox for me. Um, okay. The word Adonai, it means Lord or master. Again, mm-hmm. some of you, if you grew up in the church or you went to Bible college, you probably already know this, but I feel like the. The normal Christian who's reading their Bible and praying, you know, and and going to church, you might not know these different nuances surrounding the name of God. And so that's why I'm going into a little bit of this. Again, if you already know this, that's great. But if you don't, it's, it's fascinating. And there are nuanced differences between these names that all have really cool things that they offer and bring to the table. So the word Adonai is different than Elohim because it's more specific. In Hebrew, it does not mean God. Uh, it doesn't mean divine. It actually means master or yeah, ruler. The one in control. Yeah. And it comes from that Hebrew word Adon, which mm-hmm. literally means ruler or, you know, you might see the name for a king or a master, someone who has servants and someone who has people working for them. You would be called Adon. And so the Israelites called their God Adonai. Um, and we see it basically all throughout the Old Testament. We see in Genesis, Exodus, Psalm, Isaiah, a lot of the prophets use it as well. It's not used in the New Testament, and that's normal. That's because, and you'll see that with a lot of these words, because Adonai is Hebrew. And so in the New Testament, you'll see the word kairios, I believe. Kairios, I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Which means the same thing. Lord, master, ruler, someone that had people working for them, um, someone that would have servants. You'd use the word kairios. And that has the same meaning as Adonai, just in the Greek language that would have been for the New Testament. Um, so I think that's a little different and it's translated all throughout the Bible. We see that translated as Lord master. Um, I think sometimes it's translated as father, but I could be wrong, but occasionally. So because, because the old Testament and the new Testament were written in two different languages, old Testament uses the word Adonai new Testament uses the word Kyrios, but when translated into English, you have both of these languages being translated into the same language both of those words come to be to mean Lord or master, things like that. 
And so you'll see that throughout the Bible. And sometimes it can be, if you were a nerd like me as a Christian, I would sometimes go and look at what the names were being used for God. And then I'd go look it up in the original language and Mm -hmm. say, oh, that's interesting that they're not using Elohim here. They're using Adonai. And we see the Israelites get more and more specific. And you see the authors of the Bible get more and more specific. So they go from calling God Elohim, God, to Adonai, master, um, um, someone to be someone that I serve, right? Someone that is royal, that is a king. And I find that interesting. Um, do, do you have a understanding or maybe even a thought around why it started going from a more general sense to things like Lord and master as the canon of scriptures continued? You know, I don't know the exact answer, and I don't think there is one singular answer. I would imagine that, and I don't I don't know the full answer to this, but I do know some of the factors that might have influenced it yeah. is because you have the Israelites forming their faith, which would eventually become Judaism. You have them forming this faith, and as they're doing so, they are constantly having to define their God against the other gods. Right. So we see them use that word Adonai. Another reason might be because they are in a world where they're seeing kings and people in leadership. And so they use that language to then attach it to their God Mm -hmm. and say, oh, that's a king. Uh, We would call that person Adon. So we're going to call our God Adonai, my king, my servant, or the person I serve, things like that. So I would imagine that's part of it, as well as the fact that the word Adon, and this kind of goes to the third question when it comes to Adonai, is, is it unique to the Jewish and Christian faith? Not really. The word Adon, we see that throughout a lot of different cultures. I believe it's Mm -hmm. uh, the Canaanites, the Moabites. They use that word to describe their gods as well. And those are Israel's neighbors. And so they were definitely picking up on other cultures, naming their god Adon that that predated them. So they're probably copying and pasting. That reminds me, when we're talking about Elohim, that also the word Elohim is unique to the Jewish and Christian faith. Mm -hmm. We don't see that word Elohim in other literature, but we do see the word El and Luma, which are uh, iterations of it from an etymological standpoint. The etymology of that word we see throughout other cultures as well. So the word Elohim, Israel likely came up with, but they derived it from a word that was being used all around them. The word El meant God. And so they just added the Ohim to the end. With Adonai, they're doing something similar, but Adonai was used around by their neighbors before them. And so they probably kind of copied what they were doing. Uh, There is some evidence of that. There are actually some stones. And if you're like really geeky and you love like the um, archaeological aspect of this, like there are like walls with the carvings of Adon in, um, uh, I always mess up this word. You're a Gritic, you're a Gritic, that's a smaller tribe that was around at that time, and Moabites, they use the word Adon, and it's written in their like stones, and then you see Israel copy it later on, which I just think is cool. You're such a nerd. Isn't that cool, though? It's It's the same word. It's It's also really, like, I'm trying really hard not to add to this, because the last one we're going to hit today, it makes sense why that last one's going to be the last one. Yeah. Because especially with Adonai having words like Lord and Master, mm-hmm. those were heavy words in the first yeah. century world. They had a lot of weight. And you're saying first it. century. I'm talking way, way earlier. Okay. So yeah. this would have been, um, let's say 9,000 BC. 
Yeah. So 9,000 years before first century, we see Adon and Adonai. These are old, old, old words. Very, very old. I'm thinking of the, the woman in um, uh, Mulan. Do you want to stay for dinner? <laughs> Do you want to stay forever? Um, anyone? Anyone? Uh, that's, who I, that's who I picture was using these words. Yeah. So these like predate. And so it's teeing it up for the first century language that we'll get to when we yeah. talk about Jesus. But the words Elohim, Adonai, and then my favorite that we're getting to in a second, Yahweh, are so beautiful to me because they are these words that a culture was using, you know, 12,000 years ago to describe their God. And 12,000 years ago, people thought and believed that there were other gods. I mean, there Mm -hmm. are still people believing that today, but in that time period, the authors of the Old Testament accepted and knew there were other gods in the world and were desperately trying to depict their God Mm -hmm. as different and better than all the rest. So they're simultaneously holding Egyptian cosmology and Moabite religion and the understanding of destiny and uh, and eternity and all these other different religions and beliefs that are going on around them. They're holding all of those simultaneously and saying, we acknowledge them, ours is better. And everyone's doing that. Everyone is doing that. So it's almost like nothing has changed. Like humanity changes, but always stays the same. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that to answer your question is also a reason we start to see a shift from Elohim into Adonai is you have this people group desperately trying to define their God as bigger and better. Um, So what are your thoughts on the word Adonai? I I don't know if you have any extra things you want to add to that. I do. I'm going to wait till the very end okay? because how I see this concluding points back to Adonai quite a bit. So I'm going to, I want to stay quiet on this one. We're going to get to my favorite word out of the whole list is this one. And that's Yahweh. Tell me a little bit about your experience and use and what does the word Yahweh mean to you? Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to give you, I think what would be the most typical response okay. you would probably get Love it. from a Western theological perspective, okay. that this is the first name for God. This is God's name. Mm-hmm. Like God's name is not God. It's like yep. the grocery store has a name. It's Walmart. Yep. Right. Or in my hometown it was the Walmart. Cause we only had one Publix. Was that, what is that? <sighs> Nothing. Never mind. Oh do you God. know about Kensley's? Yes. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No way. In, in the Midwest. Yeah. 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 Yes, I'm very cultured. Yahweh, (laughs) from a theological context, Mm -hmm. people would just say, this is God's first name. Yes. It was almost like making God personal. Absolutely. where I always, but there's so much behind it. I don't want to go too. No, share away because it is my favorite word and it's very personal. And that's why I wanted to make time for this. What? Yeah. For you personally. There's. I'm going to take a different approach on this one because there's historical fact we could go into. There's also some theological consciousness behind it that would make it the reason why God needs a personal name, which I believe because I looked at your notes earlier when you weren't looking at me, I think we're going to get hit. I don't want to hit that. But something that I would say, Western theology, oh man, I'm going to say it. I might repent of this later that I think Western theology has done well is made theology or the idea of God or God has made it personal. Yeah. It has taken the idea of something lofty that your brain can't really comprehend and has pulled it down into an essence of humanity. And sure, we see that through Jesus. Yeah. But again, because we're going to hit this here soon, Jesus is also not God, right? 
And so I think a lot of times we confuse Jesus and God, but when you have just the essence of God, sometimes it's, uh, how do I visualize that? Is there a physical form? What is that? Mm, And all it takes sometimes is a name, which means names, especially when you can't describe something, names help figure it out. Names help give language and even feeling around that language to something. Yes. Now there's a lot again, and we're going to get into it in a minute, a lot of theological consciousness behind it. But I think the most important thing, at least in my world, being someone who follows Jesus and helps other people discern what that is, is that it at least gives language to what God could be. And one of the things that God can be is, is personal. I really, really like that. And I think that is exact. I think that is actually very close to what the Israelites intended with that word. That is exact. It's it's personal. The word Yahweh. um, And this I also love because I love uh, sitting in the unknown. We don't really know what that word was supposed to mean. We Mm -hmm. have no idea. There is no translation of it. There is no evidence that gives us a definitive meaning. With the word Elohim and Adonai, we have Hebrew lexicons because researchers researchers have gone to, you know and figured out with context clues what those words mean, and now we have definitions for them. Yeah. Elohim means God or gods. Adonai means Lord or Master. Yahweh, the first time we see it is in the. I forgot that I think I wrote down the exact one, but it's the story of the the burning bush. It's That's Genesis. Exodus, yeah. yeah, Exodus. Yeah, Exodus. Uh, we see the burning bush and Moses says, you know, who the hell are you? And God says, mm-hmm. I'm Yahweh. Yeah. Um, or he says, I am who I say I am. Tell them Yahweh sent yeah. Yeah. me. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's when we see this word all of a sudden come to be. And we have no idea what they meant by it. Mm-hmm. But we can take some guesses that it's supposed to encapsulate God's eternalness and bond with and commitment to the Israelites. And I love that. I think that is so sacred and special that they came up with this name that encapsulates their God. They didn't say, and and this is one of those rare moments where we see the Israelites, they're not using language that is normal. Like they normally were calling God, God, or they were calling him master, Lord, servant, father, you know, all of those words that they knew and had some sort of understanding of, and were taking these really common words and applying them to their God. Here, they're creating a new word because they don't know how to put the vastness Mm -hmm. and the holiness of their God into a language. And so they put it into this new word. And I love that because it is supposed to depict the personalness, the yeah. personal relationship God had with Israel. And I think we carry that out now with that word. What I love about it is, one, its uniqueness. But two, the Israelites had a lot of rules surrounding how and where you could use the word Yahweh. So they would never say the word. And we actually don't know how it was pronounced. Mm-hmm. We've just said Yahweh as a best guess, but it's really a shot in the dark. Right. And it is Probably 100% not the right way that, to pronounce it. We don't know how it was supposed to be pronounced. What we do know is they would not utter that name. Yeah. They would write it, but they would not utter it. And Which is a big deal. Huge deal. Yeah. And it would have been extremely blasphemous to utter the exactly. name. The yeah. idea being you weren't supposed to utter the name You're of God. You're literally not worthy to have it come out of your human mouth. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And I find that so, so beautiful that they felt really strongly about that. And in the Hebrew language... You have every word has a root, which is made up of three letters. 
and any add-ons like a prefix or a suffix you can add on later, but the root is always three letters and they wouldn't write out their vowels. They don't have vowels. They have them, but they wouldn't ever write them. We see when you read Hebrew today, like if I'm reading the Hebrew Bible, it has vowels in it, Hebrew vowels, but that's because we don't know we need them. We're not as fluent in the language, but mm-hmm. back then they wouldn't actually write out the vowels. They would just write the the consonants. Right. With the word Yahweh, they would not write the vowels. So you just had the three letter root for Yahweh. But when you read it, when you spoke it out loud, if you're reading the word Yahweh, you don't say it, you say Adonai. Mm -hmm. And they still do that to this day because when I was in grad school and having to, I remember during our Hebrew exams or when we were reading out loud, if we came across the word that was spelled out with the consonants of what would have been, you know, like Y-H-W-H, you know, our English translation, but the Hebrew root or meaning for Yahweh, you would find yourself almost saying, you'd be like, Yahweh Adonai, because <laughs> you're not supposed to say it when it's written in Hebrew. Yeah. You are not supposed to say it. It's a huge disrespect. And so instead, when you, even today, you will see it written as Yahweh, you will say Adonai yeah. if it's written in Hebrew. And then a lot of scholars in papers, you might see Yahweh written as all caps Y-H-W-H. And that's how it's written instead of Y-A-H-W-E-H. Usually scholars won't write it that way. Yeah. And um, rabbis, they won't write it that way. You won't see that in the Torah, I think. Um, so I find that really beautiful that they've mm-hmm. they've really kept that tradition of preserving the sacredness of the word yeah, isn't that wild i mean there's one of the things i love about jewish culture is we were just talking to someone earlier about this um the difference between jewish imagination and western theological imagination is that western culture will tell you this is the answer and Jewish imagination is, we think it's this thing. It, it could be this thing. We're not sure. It could be also be this thing. Yeah. So that is one particular vein of which the word Yahweh is used. But one that I find, I think, somewhat striking, but then also personal to me, is the theology of presence, literally mean presence here and now, not just the presence of God on you, but that Yahweh is all about you being present in this moment. Have you heard this theology construct around? I don't know. Keep going. So the word Yahweh shows up when Moses sees this spiritual anomaly happening around him called the burning bush. Abraham Joshua Heschel, I uh, obviously I'm a fanboy of this guy, but like he's, he's this Jewish um, rabbi in New York city. Okay. And he has this whole thing he does on the burning bush and that the burning bush, the spiritual anomaly of the burning bush, when Moses sees it, that is not, the gift that is happening in this moment. What happens before God shares God's name is what was happening, which was the burning bush. And the beautiful moment of that is not that Moses sees the burning bush, but if you look at Moses's life, he's running from something, he's chasing something, he's having to destroy something to build something. For lack of better language, the man was busy. He had to continually move his people forward. So the beauty of the burning bush moment wasn't that he wasn't that he saw the burning bush. It was the fact that he was walking slow enough or was being present enough to notice it was happening. Oh, interesting. And so Abraham Joshua Heschel would argue that this word Yahweh, that the act or the action that happens before God shares it is all about us paying very close attention to this moment for all of us to see 
the burning bushes that are happening in our lives. And so a personal trait of God, not a universal trait, not a deity trait. Sure. A personal trait from the personal name Yahweh is about being here in this moment, being present, which then you could argue is you being also present uh, with God as well. I did not know that. I have never heard that, which sounds so beautiful and totally aligns with the word itself. Right, yeah. Oh, so you're saying, what he is saying is the word Yahweh, when God delivers this name, we can assume that God is saying that with with this name that he's giving comes some sort of meaning or emphasis on the idea of presence. Yes. That I am the God that will be present with you and that you have to be present to experience me. Exactly. You have to slow down. Yeah. I really like that. Totally aligns with the word. That is, I have never heard that. And isn't it amazing? That's so beautiful. A perfect encapsulation and very, very much in line with the Jewish tradition as well. That idea of being present and slowing down. We see that a lot with a lot of Jewish traditions and um, holidays and celebrations. That idea of slowing down, being present, taking a moment to sit and be and prepare. That's, I love that. Who was the name of the scholar? Abraham? Abraham Joshua Heschel. Which is like the coolest name you could ever have. Love that name. Yeah. Very cool. Very brandable. Um, (laughs) Always thinking about building that brand. Um, Okay. That's really, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that because I did not know that and I love it and it makes perfect sense with what the name means. Um, Number four. Well, first off, is Yahweh, no, is Yahweh unique to the Jewish and Christian faith? And yes, Yes. because we don't see it in any other text. Um, But we do, however, see other nations and tribes using unique names for their God and they in a very replicate what Israel did in that moment. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or vice versa. And Israel seeing um, a tribe called uh, Chemosh, Chemosh, I'm going to butcher the title. Um, and a couple of others um, that I've listed here that no, they're not important, but there's other, there's other tribes and nations that were surrounding Israel that were doing very similar things where yeah. they have these unique names for God. One of them that we think might be related, there is no way to prove it, um, was the um, Ugaritic tribe that I was talking about earlier. Their name for their God that was personal was Yahoo. And I really just wanted to say Yahoo. Um, but it really was. It was Y-A-H-U you in know English. why it was that, right? So when you're talking about Yahweh, someone go, Yahoo? And they go, Yahweh. That's exactly it. Yeah. Oh my God. It all makes sense now. Here I was wondering, and that Come is... On. This to, is why you keep a pastor around. Wow. That is it. That, thank you. Um, but I just find that fun. Like other, there must've been this trend going on where it was like, do you have a personal name for your God? You need one. Like, okay, what's yours? Yahweh. Mine's going to be Yahoo. <laughs> like just like a slight variation. <laughs> yeah. It's like so. Actually it is Yahoo is like a huge brand. Never yeah. Mind. If anything, it's the most brandable, but I just love, like, I'm just imagining, and I know this didn't happen and they might not even be related, but like one, like the Jewish or like the Israelites making their name and they're carving it on stone. And they're like, Oh, you don't have a unique name for your God. Wow. That sucks for you. And they're like, yeah, what's your, what's your name? And they're like, it's Yahweh. And the Moabites are like, we need a name for our God. And some guy's like, what about Yahoo? <laughs> and they're like, they're like this Brilliant. guy, write that down, write that down. And so then they're like, Oh yeah, you got Yahweh. Well, we've got Yahoo. And they're like, just join <laughs> This That's, feels like the biggest <laughs> like Christian dad joke happening right now, right? I'm just imagining like whoever did it first of like, we have a unique personal name for our God. 
the okay, sheer but, panic that shook the land of being like, we all need personal names for our just about, Like there was a meeting that happened. A meeting of like all the leaders being like, yo, so-and-so, the Moabites have got this sick name for their God. We need one. And the Israelites are like, I Tribal got Levi's this. Like, Get your shit together. We got to come up with a better name. And guys. Moses is like, I was just talking to our God at a burning bush. And he said something about Yahweh. So maybe we should write that down. And they're like, that's good. That's good. Put that, put that in the meeting notes, put that in the agenda. Like I'm just imagining one tribe had the personal name first and then the other nations surrounding them got wind of it. And they were like, we need that as well. And yeah. then we see it. I know that's not what happened, but also could have kind of happened. Like one, one place tribe nation did it. And mm-hmm. then there was a trickle down of, right. of doing it. Yeah. So who did it first? We don't know. Um, but I just love that someone was like, what about Yahoo? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just epic. Like I know it wasn't pronounced that way, but anyways, Okay, let's get into the fourth one. <laughs> that was, I you well, can't. I, mean, I saw that in my research, Yahoo, and I was like, I can't not talk you about can't it. Not talk about one hundred percent. Messiah, tell me, what do you think of when you hear the word Messiah? What does uh, it mean for you? This is so hard for me because it all points back to the last. I'm no, I'm I feel so like excited. they're different. I feel like they're different. And Messiah is something. Well, it points back to the the greater. You, sorry, I keep talking about the last one. We'll eventually get I to love that you're so excited about the last one. It's like I'm excited, so but like good. It's one of the things that kept me a Christian. Really? Okay, yeah, you absolutely. must know something about it that I don't, so I'm very excited. Okay. Not really. It made it real for me. Okay. Uh, we're getting too far ahead. Um Tell again, I'm gonna go we're gonna get into the factual side of it. I'm gonna go back into my um Western theological context Messiah, okay. what I was handed, right? Because I'm sure that probably would relate to a lot of people in the room too. Messiah was the idea of the redeemer. So then I can be redeemed the person to save me or the person who will save. So I can be saved at the end of the day as well. Okay, Messiah always equaled the person who's going to take care of the problem. So I'm going to be okay in the, in the end game. So for you, you link Messiah really with the resurrection with Jesus. Yes. Yes. Which is what, well, not, sorry, not for me personally in Western theology that I've been given in most places most churches okay and i would love to hear from the room on this one too oh okay because we probably have some church slash ex church folks messiah equaling to god is actually a bit of a at least in my personal experience a foreign topic messiah was always something that equaled to jesus okay which is two very different very different narratives is that the same with most of you, yeah. Okay. We're getting some nods. Okay. Lots of nods. I think I would agree because as a Christian, when I heard Messiah, I never thought God. I thought Jesus. Right. Yes. Which is very interesting with mm-hmm. some of the things that we're going okay. to that And that tracks, and I'm glad because, yeah, when I was a Christian, whenever I heard Messiah, I always thought Jesus. And I think that's intentional because the word Messiah, Hebrew word uh, Mashiach, or I'm probably butchering the pronunciation pronunciation but masiach you keep saying that but literally there's gonna be like two people that listen to this podcast they're just gonna know the correct one and you so. know they're gonna comment and be like actually it's pronounced yeah. such and such um because that's just the <laughs> okay that is true we are <laughs> I really um, like, the like if i spell if i pronounce anything wrong people will let me know and that's called accountability and so it comes from the hebrew word masiach and it means chosen one yes or deliverer again probably if you grew up in the church or bible college or anything you, you know that but if you don't now, you know, it means chosen one deliverer. 
it was not a unique name for Jesus. Right. We see that word Messiah. It's actually used in the Old Testament too, mm-hmm. I think in Leviticus and maybe Psalms, um, talking about the deliverer to come for the Israelites. Right. They use the word Messiah. But the Messiah was also used for kings and people of, in power, um, simply meaning because they were chosen. Right. And now this is really interesting because we, we see this also with our, with our uh, fifth name that we'll get to. The word Messiah was not a divine word at the time. That word was a very common word used to describe kings, people in power, um, masters, rulers. Yeah, really uh, high capacity leaders, if you will, the CEOs. They were called messiahs. Then the Israelites and Jesus himself calling Jesus the messiah was their way of using common language to describe the importance of this person in a way that made sense to them. Mm. And the a metaphor that I would use to describe it, and yeah, I'm going to stay on theme here, is like how Swifties call Taylor. And I'm not, I'm not a Swiftie, but we I respect. Know, but we also know why you're bringing, go ahead. It's kind of like how the Swifties call Taylor Swift mother. Y'all heard this? They're always like, oh my God, mother, like mom out here shining, mother. They're calling her mother or how mm. we call, um, or how you call Pedro daddy, how I call Pedro daddy, um, cannot link that to how Jesus <laughs> is the Messiah, um, but how, or how we would call, um, who was it? Who did Elvis, the, the King of rock, okay. he was, he'd be called the King. We know Taylor Swift is, she's, she's not a, a, an actual mother. Right. Elvis is not an actual King, but we're using that language and applying it in a new way to Taylor Swift to sets say the standard. it yeah. sets the standard. Now here's the fun part. So Swifties call Taylor Swift mother because they see her as a motherly figure for all yeah. of them. She's setting the example. She's looking out for her fans, right? She's always giving the fans what, what they want, like, like a mother would. And they call her mother. She's not actually their mother, but it's a metaphor to describe the character of Taylor Swift. That's what the Israelites are doing here with the Messiah. They're using this word to describe Jesus as the chosen one. And it'd be like if, you know, a thousand years from now, the people in the year 3023, if my math is correct, are looking at the, you know, annuls of history and they see, oh my gosh, humanity was referring to Taylor Swift. As the Messiah. No, no, yeah. Like they were using this word called, they were using the word mother to describe Taylor Swift. So in the year 3023, people use the word mother to describe pop stars. Right. It's like, oh, she's a great mother. Right. They've completely... That is so good. Isn't that funny? Yeah. But then at the same time, the Israel... And this is why it's really complicated and I think worth holding the nuance here. The Israelites are using... And, and, you know, and the early followers of Jesus are using the word Messiah to mm-hmm. describe Jesus. And they're using this common word to describe Jesus as the chosen one. Yeah. It's common. It's used a lot. But they are also using it in a really specific and different way. Yes. They are using this common word that everyone would know, the chosen one. And they're saying, yes, he's chosen, kind mm-hmm. of like a king, but more, yeah. but different. Yeah. There's something divine here. 
And that I think is the part worth holding. And mm -hmm. it's easy. It'd be easy for me as an atheist, you know, to say like, oh, he's not the Messiah. That's just the common word they would use. But even I recognize that the Israelites, the early followers of Jesus were calling Jesus Messiah to yes, say that he was chosen above all else, but he was also chosen by God. Mm -hmm. And that's a unique use of that word that we don't see anywhere else. We don't see that word Messiah being used to describe someone's divine relationship with God right. anywhere else. Right. Right. And I think that's worth mentioning because it could be easy, you know, just to say, oh, he's using the word Messiah, you know, using the word Messiah, but that just means chosen one. It's nothing special. To the followers of Jesus, it did. They were meaning that, yes, he was chosen like a king. Yes, he's like a king. Yes, he's like mother. He's more. Mm -hmm. He's divine. Mm -hmm. And they were holding and playing with the language and doing both. So yeah. Yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, so the first time it pops up in the Old, Te uh, Old Testament is Leviticus 18. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is how many times Jesus would reference Le Leviticus or Levitical law with things that he would say. Mm. He talks about Come Messiah quite, quite a bit. Oh, okay. I'll give you an example. So, um, when Jesus says to love your neighbor, he's quoting Leviticus 19. Okay. Because Leviticus 19 is all about literally physically making sure your neighbor has all the food that they need. So okay. in return, when you need food, your neighbor will have food for you. He's making a, a, a reference yeah. to and that. It goes, okay. it goes through, I think it's like nine or 10 different iterations of okay. that. What it means to uh, have peace with your neighbor. If your neighbor needs their mortgage paid, their rent paid, how you and your neighbor beside that person takes care of that neighbor or as Jesus would put it, love your neighbor as yourself. Like he's literally paraphrasing Levitical law. He does that from Leviticus 18 as well, where Jesus talks or where Levitical law is talking about the idea of a Messiah or Messiah to come. When Jesus is referencing that Messiah, he's referencing Levitical law. And so literally what you're talking about with the King of pop or the King of rock is also in some capacities, what Jesus is doing there when he describes Messiah. He's linking being like, Hey, you guys were expecting that person. I'm that person. He's so you just, you just called it. He's linking everything back. But what yeah. Jesus also did was subvert and dismantle theology. And one of the things he okay. does there is subverted to say that thing that you're waiting for. It's here now. It is yes, sometimes, I can see that. Okay. which then does go into our next one. Some of the things that Jesus would do is, a lot of times we say that is Jesus, but sometimes it's what Jesus stood for, what Jesus did. Yes. Things that were system issues that needed to be taken care of, and sometimes soul issues that need to be taken care of, that Jesus yes. had a way of living, a way of nonviolence, a way of subverting the systems in a good way. And that word Messiah is being brought in from Levitical law to Jesus' day. And Jesus is saying, he's linking the two. I'm going to bring them all together and show you a new way to live this out. That's really cool. And is that not redeeming something? Yeah. And I, th I think, you know, we, we know he's referencing all the time. He's, you know, he's saying like, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And that's exactly what that's he's exactly doing what he's is, doing. is pulling it in. And when you think about the word Messiah, meaning chosen one, it all makes sense. Yes. Suddenly it's right. like domino cards. It's domino cards. Wow. I, what are, what is dominoes? Domino cards. It's like dominoes all of a sudden falling where you understand 
the Israelites were saying, we're expecting a chosen one, we're expecting a chosen one, we're expecting a chosen one. The New Testament, we finally hear Jesus call himself the Messiah and reference the Old Testament and say, I have come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. That's his way of saying, yeah, that chosen, that chosen guy you were waiting on. Hi, it's me. It's I'm it. It's me. And that kind of revelation and maybe him realizing that he's not what the people were expecting. They were really expecting a king. They were expecting someone royal, wealthy, mm. powerful, and instead they got someone born in a tool shed. Yeah. And um, I think that's what you're saying makes perfect sense of Jesus referencing and not rewriting, but refining yes. what that Old Testament law it's meant. It's almost like he took something like the Bible and said, oh, this doesn't make sense in the way it's written. The literalness of Leviticus makes no sense for this world that we're living in. It's almost like he needed to reinterpret and reevaluate. It's almost like this. Yes. That's so crazy. Also, when you said Domino's, I thought of pizza. The best pizza. And I know people will disagree. Not the best pizza in Portland. I'm sorry. Not the best pizza in Portland. Let me just rephrase. Okay. Um, the The best chain pizza is Domino's pizza. I'll give you that one. And one because they one because they have the best deals. Come on. What? Who? Little Caesars, baby. Ew. Who? What? Little Caesars. Shout your favorite. Who? Okay. Who the hell said Pizza Hut? And who hurt you as a child? Yeah. Pizza Hut. Domino's has stuffed crust. What are you talking about? What? They don't. No. I think you need to leave. Is no, what I, I love Domino's. They have the best deals too. It's like six dollars. I pizza. just Little Caesars. <laughs> Little Caesars so is the best because uh, I, I run will, nonprofits. I'll, I'll mess, with, I'll mess with the hot and ready. I will mess with the hot and ready every now. Oh and yeah, then. every now and then. do they have Little Caesars here? Wow. It's just hard when we live in Portland. Yeah, and we, we have some of the best pizza in there. Uh, Scotty's Pizza on Division. Whew, that place is for fire. my birthday. That's the plan gonna try scotty's because scotty's i've never had it oh my god let's do it but it's because we have baby doll literally a block away from our house oh is that i've heard of that but i've never i've never been just because oh my god we're Are not we gonna have a pizza party for our birthday then oh my god where we bring baby doll and scotty and scotty's and we do like a little taste test oh my god love it okay that's what we're doing great great great, great. okay thank you messiah that's where all wow the- thank you messiah look look at jesus bringing us together <laughs> <laughs> don't get excited she said it um, last one, but not least that you are like evidently so excited about. I I'm feel like loving I hyped it up this energy. I for hyped you. it up too much. Okay. Tell me about the son of God. What, let me rephrase that. Cause that's too vague and you'll get carried away. What does the word <laughs> son of God mean to you personally? Oh man. Well, probably like a lot of people in the room, son of God was just this ethereal floaty name for God. Okay. Right. It was this thing that described what Jesus was. What, let me back up a little bit. There are two stories in the Bible that made it real enough for me to continue to hang on when I was about ready to leave the whole thing. One of them was the creation poem. And one, I think, huge part of the creation poem wasn't what is just being said in that, but understanding the context behind why the oral tradition of the creation poem was written. I think in a lot of ways, the idea of the creation poem reflects a different uh, belief system from Babylon. And that made me almost leave it. And yep. then I understood why they wrote it down. And I think I doubled down on my faith because of that. But the other one is, is son of God because it, yeah, on the surface level, son of God is this ethereal floating language yep. until you realize 
Jesus is actually actually borrowing language from a Roman culture. So before to understand that, you got to back up 40 years before Jesus shows up in the scene. You have someone named, I believe it's Julius. Yeah, sorry. Wow. Yeah, Caesar. Blank. Yeah. So Julius Caesar pops up on the scene. This event happens called the Ides of March. Julius Caesar dies. And a big rhetoric, a big story about Julius Caesar, Caesar's funeral is that a comet goes through the sky, right? During his funeral. When you said you were going to talk about Julius Caesar, I knew you were going to tell this story. I'm very excited. Keep going. And so the whole idea of Julius Caesar is as that comet is passing his funeral, his physical body, that is Julius Caesar becoming a god. Now, just a few years later, Octavius, his son, takes the mantle, right? Yep. And Octavius begins to use words like Octavius is the prince of peace, that Octavius is lord, savior. Again, we're going to kind of connect that to Adonai here, mm-hmm. right? Lord, Savior, he's the controller, the ruler. But the big one that Octavius would use is that he was the son of God because his father, Julius Caesar, has become one of those gods because of that comment. So, and the other thing too you've got to understand is Octavius is coined for creating a massive military economical empire. He's also coined as being someone in that culture that actually created a huge sense of capitalism, or I would even argue a massive gap between the rich and the poor. There yep. was no middle class. There was the the desolate, the poor, the needy, and then the 1%. And then you have Jesus show up on the scene and he starts calling himself son of God. Yeah. He starts, Jesus starts calling himself Prince of Peace. This way of nonviolence is actually the way of peace. And therefore I am the person bringing it. So his followers would call him him the prince of peace they would begin to call him the son of god this is a social political jab to the caesar of like poking fun of exactly yep and so for me when i hear words like son of god prince of peace or lord and savior when i see the early followers of jesus say that they have accepted jesus as their lord and savior that's not just soul work that is system work that Mm, is interior work but that's like interior work on you and your your body and your soul but it's also exterior work on the system, yeah. making sure your neighbor has everything they, they need. And then also shaking your fist at the thing that's not allowing your neighbor to have all the, all their needs met. Yeah. And so the thing that a lot of us were handed in the church growing up is that Jesus is a fairy tale. It's real, but you just got to kind of imagine it. And that's almost in some ways why I begin to walk away from the whole thing. But then when I read the actual context behind why Jesus would call himself the son of God, it made Jesus a real person. It made that message become real. It made the message for me make mm. way more, way more sense. And in so many ways, words like son of God, words like Prince of Peace became understandable and known. And then it made me want to double down on this whole thing enough to continue to pursue the ways of Jesus or the ways of, in this context, the ways of the son of God. So you're saying that for you, son of God, you saw that as redeeming because you said Jesus saw that phrase son of God and saw that it was being used by people in power um, and people that were oppressing other people. The the oppressors were calling themselves son of God, which Mm -hmm. was a very common name to call yourself back then it's like right. basically as common as king and jesus said no i'm going to show you what a real son of god 
is right? like. like and he totally knew, flipped the script. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And that's the beauty in it because son of God would just say, yeah, I'm from God up there. Yeah. No, there was way more political context behind the entire thing. I really like that. Yeah. Because it, it, it shows that Jesus was very politically agile and acutely aware oh, of absolutely. what he was doing. And, you know, regardless of what you believe, I think looking at Jesus, whether as a, a real person, a historical person, a fictional character, the son of God, whatever you want, God himself, that story and someone strategically using that name mm-hmm. in a way to make a point to me is so such a great approach. Mm-hmm. Like whoever was Jesus's PR right. should have gotten a raise because well, that they got murdered. But yeah. Which was probably the same as a raise back then. Let's be real. People loved. Okay, this is a little bit of a tangent, and I'm so sorry. You got the joke. That's why. I'm 100. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay, really quick, and I do want to come back to this because it's very important. But I am learning in all of the research I'm doing now and in grad school that that people were just like not afraid to die back then. Martyrdom was glory. Glory. Yes. People were itching to die. Yes. And I was. I'm just like, what these and. D, you're going to have to remind me, you're going to have to remind me where I saw this, but there's like this sport where, was it the Mayans that would compete in this sport and the, the winner got to die. Like the winner was excited to die and sacrifice themselves. Is D, are you in here? Yeah. Was that, where did we hear that? Yeah, we were, we were at a dinner. Okay. I knew it was recent and like, they'd like hit this ball with their hips, like up into the air and get it through this hoop. And like the first person to do it, they were, they got to die. Like they did this knowing and hoping they would die. What? I mean, how bad does your life have to be on earth that you're like, God, I hope I, I hope I get self-sacrificed today. That's why I made that joke. It was, yeah. I just love the fact that like no one laughed because no one nerds out about this. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. I mean, it was like, it's such an honor. And I, to me, I'm like, Wow, like the way that they viewed human life and death was so different. And I mean, it could also be because the average person lived to be like 40 at that time, you know? So it was like, it just didn't have the same weight. Okay, son of God. You gave a lot of great context because again, son of God, similar to Messiah, we see the followers of Jesus using a very common word to describe Jesus and Jesus himself calling himself son of God using Mm -hmm. language that he knew people would have some sort of contextual understanding of, you know, like when we say Taylor Swift is mother or Beyonce is queen bee, we know what a queen bee is, right? She's the mother of the hive was, we've got that, you know, or, you know, she's the, the ruler of the hive and for a mother, right? She oversees her kids. So, they're using son of God, a language and a word and a phrase that the people would understand and know how to place yeah. at the same time. And this is the part that I want to throw to you. I don't, I don't know if you had talked about this before, but when Jesus is calling himself son of God, and we look at that phrase and how it's used, it's very evident that that phrase is being used to link Jesus ontologically to God, as in from the same family tree as God, which is different than how Caesar and previous leaders were using the phrase son of God. I mean, you would see the phrase son of God on like birth, uh, birth announcements. And I think it was on the coin when, I think when Caesar like was literally on the coin, he put son of God or something like, so, so very, very common phrase. Jesus takes that phrase and says, no, literally I'm the son of God. In a way that 
what it was not being used at the time. Mm. And I think that's interesting because that phrase son of God is typically used to emphasize Jesus's divine sonship to God, Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim. Jesus is saying, I am related to that God. And it's also emphasizing his divine nature in a way that we hadn't seen that phrase be used mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And if I, you know, as a Christian, I could see that that actually would have a lot of great, deep meaning and relief, yeah. knowing that Jesus is using that word and saying, yeah, you guys have been, u- these terrible people over here are calling themselves son of God while oppressing people. But then like you said, he said, I'm the son of God. I'm actually the son of God in a way that you guys are not even ready to understand yet. I am actually the, from his family Mm -hmm. tree, I am the son of God and I'm not going to behave like that. I'm going to behave the exact opposite. I think that is so powerful and so missed because we don't use that phrase son of God to describe people today. Mm -hmm. Kings and Queens and presidents don't describe themselves as the son of God. Mm. We don't use that phrase anymore. We only think of Jesus. But in that time, they were thinking of it as like a, a normal title. And Jesus was actually asking them to do something that was very challenging, which was say, you've been using this as a metaphor. I'm asking you to think of it literally yeah. as the son of God. Yeah. Um, I think that is very, very powerful. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Does that kind of align with what you were taught as a Christian? I think... At the very end there, you're hitting that more spiritual context of the entire thing. I look at it as the more political approach that he made, but that's the beauty of the story and the storytellers who told the story of Jesus is that the literalness of Jesus is always sometimes at odds or has a firm handshake with something that is beyond us. Yeah. It's why resurrection is such a fascinating story to me. Because there are multiple accounts of resurrections from Mm -hmm. Egypt, uh, a few in Babylonia. So did I say Babylonian? Babylonian? Yeah, Babylon. A few in Babylon. But what's beautiful about the story of Jesus is there are reasons why maybe someone just talked about him resurrecting. But what if he actually did? And I think that's what the story of Jesus actually does a lot of times. You look at that with Peter walking on water and there are fascinating stories around Hebrew ideas of people walking on top of something that you're not supposed to. There's a few Hebrew stories about people walking um, in the clouds, AKA just walking out on, on air flying basically. Right. But what if Peter actually just did walk on? Like what if Jesus really was who he says that he is? What if it was literal? What if it was literal and that the son of God context, that conversation is something where that continually pops up he is yes making it political jab but then he is also referencing no no no. but this is also beyond this system you see what i mean it's so nuanced it's like you can't figure it out there's no one meaning he's doing so much with that name the authors are doing so many things with messiah with son of god with yahweh with adonai they're doing so many things with these names they're so intentional that there's no way we can understand all of it but I think it's beautiful. Even as an atheist, I can recognize that is a beautiful way to describe your God. Absolutely. And so complex. Yeah. Um, should we do yeah. Should we do the Q&A now? Let's do the Q- Y'all ready to do the Q&A? Do you all have questions? Should we do the Q&A? Um, 
I'm sorry, Emily. Just and it does not have to be about names of God. It can be anything. Yeah, we thought this would from, be a fun, you know, little Q and A. Does hell exist? To where did you get your shoes? Anything? Uh, don't ask. They're literally sold out everywhere now. I think I literally do you not don't. want people to know where you got your shoes from. Oh no, I got mine at, on on the Samba's website, but now they're sold out. They're like impossible. Anyways, this is irrelevant. I'm sorry. It's Just, not about you. Sorry. Um, Who's got a question? And how should do we it? do this? Should we like? Okay. I was like, do we have a mic that we pass around? Okay. Yeah. A hand raise. I don't know. Oh yeah. Um, you had said a few times, Samantha, that people were uh, talking about, and I'm going to butcher this, I'm sure, but that people were like, no, my God's better. No, my God's better. I've never really thought about that before or heard that. Is it possible that some people are like, my God's kind of man? I don't I have no idea what the answer is, but I hope so. I mean, but wouldn't that be what Hebrew exiles in Babylon would have been saying about Marduk and Tiamat? Like, these guys are kind of meh. Can we talk about, like... I think I think different cultures definitely called other people's gods average. I don't know if there was a culture being <laughs> like... about their own. Their like, own <laughs> god being like, okay, going back to our little image of the Moabites and they're carving on their stone and he's next to like an Israelite. And, oh, what are you writing there? That's pretty... Wait. Your God does that? Wait, you guys got rain this year? <laughs> you didn't have Wait, a drought? What's it called? I just see people like like Caleb and... I just worship Yahoo. <laughs> like, carving in a little stone. Oh I hope... I don't know the answer to that. And I, I, I wouldn't imagine so. I would imagine that most cultures and nations had a great pride in their gods. And I will say that we do see different cultures and um, the beliefs in their gods influencing other cultures. And the perfect example is the shift between the Old Testament and into the New. The Israelites are in exile and going through absolute chaos for hundreds of years. And in that, their faith and idea of God starts to be influenced by Babylon and Egypt and Greece. And so... They're not necessarily saying, oh, like our God, Yahweh, is meh. What they are doing, though, is they're constantly being fed Egyptian cosmology, yeah. Moabite, Babylonian, Canaanite cosmology and um, theology. And all of a sudden, then we start to see that influence come out in the New Testament. And even Jesus refers to hell as Hades. He uses a mm -hmm. Greek word to describe hell, which yeah. would not have made sense unless he had been influenced by the, the Greeks that had taken over um, the Hellenistic Jews and all of that. So. I don't think, anyways, I, I could, you, could you imagine just like in the beginning, God created the world. Meh. 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 It's not giving. Um, it's like, uh, really that did not answer your question. The answer is, I don't know. And that's the little I could give. Take it up I with God. Yeah. I hope so. That would be freaking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Who else? I'm going to just put this over here. Raymond, I know you got a good one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, we knew it. I'll take a shot. Um, so, names of God, and I think of just world faiths and religions. How about the name Allah? And it's yeah. intersectionality, perhaps, with uh, uh, Christianity. That's, yeah. well, I mean, our expertise is in... <laughs> <laughs> but I will say Allah is a beautiful name that we see in Islam right. and it essential. And now 
linguist professors, please call me out on this and correct me, but that word Allah um, was is from different language, different culture, different time and place, so developed different than when we get Elohim, but very similar in meaning. Hmm. Very, very similar to Elohim. They're not, they did not, there's no uh, influence on each other because they were developed and formed in different times and places, but have similar meanings. Um, I don't think should be or could be used interchangeably out of respect for the religion and the faith and the language, but have a similar meaning to an Elohim or an Adonai. Which is also really fascinating. I think when you live in a place like America in 2000, in the 2000s overall, you have events like 9-11 that have happened and you immediately see a beautiful word like Allah that does have many parallels with our version of God. Absolutely. Many stories Mm -hmm. that are eerily similar, many ways of living. The Quran has some very, is very similar to that. I am a pastor who has read the Quran and went, "Mm, they actually told the story better than the Bible did. Okay. Any other questions? This is fun. I like this. Oh yeah. (laughs) So for both of you, uh, Zach, what would it take for you to believe in a God? And Josh, what would it take you to stop? He just wants us to fight. Oh my God. That is such a Demetric question. What would it take for me to believe in God? Um, that, that is such a... I would <laughs> say question. it would have to be something that would actually... Def- mm. You need a fact, right? Yeah, and here's... I was going to say it would take God coming down and telling me, almost like a Moses burning bush situation. Like, Moses, like, people are like, oh my God, he's like has great faith. I'm like, does he? Like, he literally he saw God. Did you yeah, need faith yeah. for that? <laughs> like, if I saw a burning like, bush and God saying... bolts cut words in stone? Come on. Right. Like, if I literally walked into the forest and there was a burning bush and the burning bush was speaking to me, I would be like, no God faith needed. Real. God is real. And like, we call him like one of the like faith fathers. And I'm like, he literally had the most evidence. He did <laughs> not need faith at all. Yeah. Easiest <laughs> all, of all. So it would take something like that. But then that to me discredits all of the devout Christians that I know today that faith is being sure of and certain of what you cannot see. And for me, I would need to see. And so really the answer is I would need to have some sort of innate uh, human heart change mind, how I view and see the world would have to change again, um, to understand and make room and hold that faith. Because yeah, if if I saw proof that God existed, well, that means, and then I believed in God, that means I don't have faith. I just needed proof. And I feel like that's everybody. Um, it Mm. would, in order to believe in God, my short answer is I would need faith in God, which I don't have because I don't believe in God. Okay, what would it take for you to become an atheist? So what you're saying is you need to see a burning bush. Yeah, I need to see a burning bush. Or um, like I need to see, I need tablets in stone that maybe don't break the first time around. Like I'll definitely hold them. I think that's Um, why it'd be harder for, or it'd be easier, I guess, in this capacity for you to believe versus me to not believe because it's not the literalness or the fact of the thing that makes me believe. Right. As it is what it stands for. Yes. I, I am not a Christian because Jesus is God and hold on with me with that. Yeah. I am a Christian for what Christianity has the capacity to do in the world. You would have to show me 
that Christianity at its earliest core and context was a violent and toxic way of living. And there are people even in scripture who I could argue are uh, heroes of the faith. People like Paul, where I'm like, ah, I think you could have been a cult leader actually. Um, I think you were maybe misogynist or uh, some, I've actually heard some people say he was just mad because he was gay and he couldn't be gay. I am not joking. I believe it. Talk to some Presbyterians. They got some wild stuff out there. Yeah. But I think that's what it would have to take for me is like someone, I guess in a way, historically, like factually, I guess, having to show me like, no, 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 this whole thing was like at its core as evil as like the KKK. It was, you you would have to be shown with unequivocal, unequivocal proof that the Christian and or Jewish faith was rooted in evil and oppression. Yeah, because if to do yes, bad, because yeah. I think for a lot of people, um, like I, I can't speak for most Western church going people because you could show them the resurrection and you could say, oh, resurrection didn't happen. And that would probably undo their faith. I think my response would be, okay, it wasn't literal. I believe in a literal resurrection. Oh, it wasn't literal. Okay, so how beautiful then is it that the story of the resurrection is just showing you that you too can have a resurrection in your life? That's really cool. And I I think that's unique. Yeah, I I think it is unique to our day and age Mm -hmm. because it wasn't unique. Celtic Christianity was literally built off the foundation that God is earth. Oh, right. right? Um, You have even... And like the the, the earth is divine, like has mm -hmm. a divine presence, right? Yeah. So how do you undo that when you see something like Mount Hood? Yeah. Like, how do you say God, God is not real to someone who is like part of that Celtic Christianity culture. Right. And so I have tried to claw my way back to the roots of the thing and the roots of the thing aren't always rooted in the literalness or the fact of the thing. It is what this message has a capacity to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's really beautiful. I love that. A lot prettier than my answer. Still praying for you though. I'm not, I'm not praying for you. Uh, you want to do one more? Let's do one more. One more question. Party in the back. Go Ashley? I have heard that there are um, names forgotten in the Bible where God is described as feminine or like genderless. Oh, it's coming. I will say one thing. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. We won't get too much into this. Yeah, because we, we're going to do gender of God later on. That's going to be a This has been my happy place. What I will say is God is... Um, as it pertains to Jesus, Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim, we predominantly see male pronouns associated with that. That was a cultural thing too. Lots of reasons for that. Um, and also remember that in Hebrew, uh, nouns were seen as masculine and feminine, not because they were men or women, but similar to Spanish, right? And so you you have different words with different male or female pronouns not because they themselves are, are are for men or women, but simply because of the language and the spelling. But also culturally, there were a lot of things going on. However, other when we talk about the Spirit, so when we talk about the Holy Trinity, we see Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit always has, every single time, female pronouns. Ruach yes. in Hebrew is feminine. So it has, and so if you say that the Holy Spirit is the part of the Trinity, 
And, you know, from the Nicene Creed, right, we all agreed, we all agreed that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are equally God. Mm -hmm. That means that there's a feminine part that is equally God that we have completely lost and forgotten. Mm -hmm. Um, And and a lot of churches refuse to acknowledge. Um, So that word ruach is feminine. And we see that word spirit of God, presence of God with female pronouns in the original language that is sometimes translated with male pronouns or neutral pronouns in English, which I find, I personally, as a woman, find offensive. And also, as a scholar of the language, I find offensive because you are, you are erasing the, the, um, European interpretation of the Hebrew texts has become an erasure of that feminine presence. Um, and is often written with he or neutral pronouns instead of instead of her or she, which is very problematic. We also see um, wisdom in Greek and Hebrew is feminine, mm-hmm. and the wisdom of God in Psalms and Ecclesiastes, and all throughout the New Testament in Greek, it's Sophia. So I think Sophia, yeah, or Sophia, um, and it's feminine. It has these feminine pronouns, and that's. That is not part of the Trinity. That is a characteristic of God. And we often see God given feminine traits, you know, where Jesus says he's a mother hen gathering her chicks, which is not the same as calling God a she. It's giving God feminine traits, which is different. But, and again, we'll get into this in another podcast, the Hebrew tradition of writing about God to the original authors of the Old Testament it was very evident to them that their God did not have gender. It was genderless. And that word Yahweh is meant to hold that kind mm-hmm. of neutral genderless idea and emphasize that characteristic. And it is completely lost when we translate it into English. And that's because it was translated by a bunch of old white European colonizers. Right. And, we, but, and we lose that. But there is this really deep, complex, nuanced understanding of how the original authors of the Old Testament described God, sometimes strategically and sometimes just culturally influenced. Sometimes they, most of the time they used he and he to describe God because they were in a male-dominated society and no one was going to buy into a female God. Um, And then also sometimes they did use she and Mm -hmm. it was translated as he later on. And so we lose that. So there's a whole, we'll get into it, but I hope that answered a good part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess huge. I mean, it's definitely huge for me. I do know that for me personally, God as a male figure doesn't do much, but God mm -hmm. as a mother does. You want to know why? Because there's never been a woman who has started or created a war. So on that note, (laughs) episode three, Done. <laughs> oh my God, I have so much to say on that, but I won't. Oh, we'll uh, get I cannot it. wait to get into this. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching and tuning in. Thank you, everybody, for coming in and watching us live. Thank Here's you so much. Hand. This was so fun. Last Everyone, little, last little bit. If um, you want to, if you want to support us on Patreon, we really would uh, appreciate it. Like I just, said, we take time off like from our Moses real jobs to do this. Split the Red Sea. We'll split the compensation right. It's, no, it's literally going straight to getting it's a better studio. It's literally just going right to this. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Peace.